Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, at an off-site campus, online, uh, in the chapel warehouse here at the uh, Long Point campus, wherever you might be. We are glad you are here. How many of you ran the bridge run this weekend? Anybody run the bridge run? Oh, you're looking good. All carved up, ready to go. I decided not to run this year. Wanted to let the Kenyans have a little bit of the glory. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll do that again next year. Uh, so excited about this weekend. Uh, starting, in fact, I'm going to leave in just a few minutes to go to Birmingham, Alabama. This week is our East Coast Conference for ARC, which is our church planting arm, Association of Related Churches. We'll have about 4,000 leaders in Birmingham, and uh, next year it's going to be here. And... Uh, we believe, listen, we believe our new building will be done by next year at this time. And you guys are all gonna volunteer, okay? Gonna volunteer, be a part of a huge dream team, host about 4,000 people here. It's gonna be awesome. And uh, part of uh, what I do is, I'm president of the ARC, but I, I kind of focus a lot of energy on our global ARC. That's the growing edge. And we've now got hubs and uh, uh, seven or eight different countries around the world. And uh, one of the places I'm really excited about is the UK. Um, we, um, a few weeks ago, Toppy Colioso, how many of you remember Toppy coming and speaking for us? Yeah. We won't let Toppy speak very often because you think that's how speaking should be. Uh, <laughs> but I, are, are you glad when we bring our friends? I mean, and share our friends with you. Well, Toppy and I uh, met with uh, Dave Smith, uh, in London, and uh, uh, out of that grew a roundtable uh, in the UK that really, really is one of the most amazing things that I'm a part of. Um, uh, Dave pastors uh, Kingsgate Church in Peterborough. It's not Peterborough, it's Peterborough. I guess there's a difference. Uh, it, one of the great churches, seriously, one of the most influential churches in the UK, just north of London. And um, we, we, we began to dream uh, one day at a little restaurant in London at what could be possible if God was to raise the level of churches in the UK and church planting would be a part of that and church growth would be a part of that. And uh, today we have 70 of the uh, most prevailing churches really in the UK that meet with us every, uh, every, every six months, meet at Peterborough at uh, Kingsgate Church. And Dave really is... Uh, one of the premier leaders there, and I'm so excited about having him speak. He, they were coming to ARC here, and I said, you gotta stop by Seacoast. Listen, uh, of all my friends, he has the favorite accent. If I could have the accent that Dave does, it would raise my a IQ, just like, just r right off the bat, probably 25 points, and uh, we love him. He's a man of the word, and uh, I want you to give a great, big Seacoast welcome to Dr. Dave Smith as he comes. Will you do that? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really is uh, great to be with you and a welcome to everybody in all the different Seacoast campuses. Greg was uh, making a bit of fun about accents, so I thought I'd practice my southern accent on you. Hey, y'all. Is that okay? 
So good to be with you. I've been to the US a number of times, visited many cities. I have to say my favorite city in the whole of the US is Charleston. What an incredible, incredible city. Um, I came to you a few years ago and spoke, and what I love about this church is the church was growing and thriving then. It's still growing and thriving many years later, and in that time, you've had a successful leadership transition uh, from Greg to Josh. You've got a new building about to be occupied on the Mount Pleasant campus. Anyone looking forward to that? And then to cap it all, God in his mercy and in his kindness has poured out his spirit in a fresh way and you're seeing dozens and dozens of people get healed. Why don't we put our hands together and thank God for his mercy over this church and over your lives. Now, I not only love what's happening here in terms of the move of God and that sense of revival dynamic, But I'm so excited at the way Greg and others are kind of stewarding what God is doing. That not only are you in revival, but the sense of we don't want to overcook things and we don't want to burn out and we don't want to wreck the local church. We want to have revival in a sustainable way. Can I have an amen? And so I'm thrilled that that is what you are going for. I feel really passionate about this because I spent a number of years of my life in academic studies of a previous revival. It's possibly the greatest revival in kind of UK, US history. It was known as the Great Awakening. Took place in 1739 and in the 1740s. And I studied uh, the character who was like at the real center of that revival, a guy called George Whitfield. And I love Whitfield because he was a man full full of the Holy Spirit. He saw hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. Uh, And he also spent some time preaching in Charleston. So as I was coming to be with you, I thought I'd go back into his journals. And I've got a little quote from Whitfield's journal of the summer of 1740. This is July the 9th, 1740. Let me read this to you. People seemed to come from all parts, and the word came with exceeding power. I hastened to Charleston But my body was exceeding weak, and the sun shone so intensely hot that I lay for a considerable time almost breathless and dead. (laughs) How many know some things never change? And this guy didn't have air con. But he goes on, but God comforted and thereby strengthened in the inner man I preach with more freedom and power than could have been expected considering the great weakness of my body. And I I, I read that partly because it relates to Charleston, uh, but particularly because here you see uh, uh, something going on. Here's a man, if you like, he's carrying the Spirit of God. He's preaching with great power. Loads of people are coming to hear him. Many people are getting converted. And yet, he's neglecting his physical body. He's in bad health, not just because he's in the sun in Charleston, but because this is a pattern in his life. He came from a a school of thought, which is uh, you gave your all for God, and if you burnt out, so be it. And that's what actually happened to him. He was at his peak in his 20s. He had ill health in his 30s and 40s, and he died prematurely at 56. So here's, here's what I want to contend for, is that we can learn from these great revivalists and from revival. How many of you like what God is doing in your midst in Seacoast to continue and continue and get deeper and deeper and more and more powerful and affect many more people? Yeah? 
But Hanny believed that we can do it as well as navigating busy lives and jobs and families and not burn out in the process. Yeah, that's what I believe for. We can have the best of both. And so that's what I want to talk to today, not just at a church level, but individually. I want to bring a message to you entitled, God's Replenishment Plan. God's Replenishment Plan. For some of you, this message is going to be thoroughly remedial. In other words, if you were to look at your life, you would say, talking about burnout, talking about stress, talking about feeling worn down, you could say, already I feel in the red zone. Well, I'm so glad that I'm here um, with you, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit's gonna help you get back to a place of good health and strength. For many others of you here, you're doing okay, or maybe you're seeing a little bit of slippage, and this is preventative. How many know it's better to have preventative medicine if we can? Catch ourselves before we get to a place where we need to step back from the brink. And so what I want to do is I want to look at an Old Testament story, uh, a character called Elijah. He was, if you like, one of the Bible's great revivalists. He was a man who operated in a power of the Holy Spirit, almost second to none. And if you track the story through to 1 Kings 18, we see him, he's just had his major victory on Mount Carmel, defeating by the power of God 450 false prophets. He's seen fire come down from heaven because of his prayers. He's prayed and the rain supernaturally starts coming down on the land. And in an Old Testament kind of version of Superman, we see Elijah outrunning the, the king's chariot. Here's a man, he's like he's one anointed dude. And here he is, full of power, 1 Kings 18. We read through a few verses later into 1 Kings 19, and we see this. Here's Elijah. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. If you feel like that today, I want to tell you, you're in good company. But what's happened here? We've had the great man of God, if you like, in a revival dynamic, full of power, full of faith, supernatural energy. I've had enough. I want to quit. Take me, Lord. Nearly suicidal. What's gone on? What's gone on is that Elijah's been overdoing it. And in that kind of near burnout stage, the enemy who knows his weak point comes through his arch enemy, Elijah's arch enemy, Queen Jezebel, and brings basically a message saying, Elijah, you've taken out my prophets, I'm gonna take you out. And that word came like almost like an arrow that pierced Elijah's heart, and he crumpled on the inside. I don't think you've ever had bad news. It's either real bad news, or it's imagined bad news, or it's, it's a real scenario, or it is the enemy whispering lies into, you, into your into your ear, and you take that word and you think, well, if I was strong, I could resist it. But that word has the power to, to cause you to crumble inwardly. If so, you're in good company. That's what happened to Elijah. And so here we see Elijah at the start of our story in a really bad way. He's physically exhausted. He's emotionally depleted. He's spiritually intimidated. He's vocationally defeated, and he's relationally isolated. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Never seriously, that's, that's the bad news part of the story. But the rest of the message is about how God lovingly comes to Elijah like he wants to come to you and I, and he comes and he brings him back to the point where his empty tank 
is full again and he's ready to enter back into God's purposes for his life. So what I want to do is I want to just step back for a moment and imagine that you have a dashboard of your life. And on the dashboard of your life, there are five dials. And they represent the key areas of your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, vocationally, relationally. And you were to look at your life right now, even before we unpack the message. Let me ask, are there any areas where the dial is in the red zone or dangerously near there? Are there any areas, maybe it's not that bad, where you think, I'm slipping in the wrong direction? Why don't we agree today, wherever we're gathered, that the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to come make this real personal to every single one of us, and that he's going to help us take steps to get back out of the red zone, back into a place of health. Amen? So we're going to look at these five areas, going to look at how God lovingly came to Elijah and how he wants to come to you and me. First area that God comes to Elijah is he comes to restore his physical strength. Can we say that? Physical strength. Why start there? Why not start with the Spirit? Because very often, when we're depleted, the area we first need to attend to is the area of our physical body. God made you and I physical beings. The Hebrew worldview, different to the Greek worldview that very often we shape our thinking around, had a much more integrated view of the human personality, not sort of body and soul and spirit, but as an integrated personality. And I believe it's truer to the, 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 the picture of how God made us. You see, God is our creator. How many glad that God gave you a physical body? And so if he made us with a physical body, and if the resurrection state is about us um, having a new body, then we need to attend to the one body that God has given us. And to know that, if we don't attend to the physical area of our lives, then it will mess up all the others. How many of you know that it, sometimes you can just get tired, and you think like the, the, the world's caving in around you, and you just have a good sleep, and everything's, everything's fine again? <laughs> Isn't that right? Or you just have a good healthy meal and suddenly you, you feel better. Why? We're wired that way. God knows that. And he knew that with Elijah. So when, uh, when we see Elijah here, part of the problem is Elijah has physically overdone it. He's been going and going and going. He's had this enormous encounter on Mount Karma, which would have taken physical energy as well as emotional, spiritual. And then if you know anything about the geography of Israel, Carmel is up in the northwest. He does this supernatural run down to Jezreel. Then he flees in terror from Jezebel. And he runs and keeps on running all the way down to Beersheba in the south of the country. And then he ends up going in, into the wilderness. The guy is physically exhausted. But God... His loving God comes to him, and look how he comes to minister. Not first to his spiritual man. He doesn't come to him and say, now, Elijah, later on in the Bible, I'm going to write this. God, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't come and quote scripture to him. He comes and he attends to his physical needs. L listen to this. It says, all at once, an angel touched him. It's very physical. And said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Let me pause there. How many of you would like to taste that angel food? Sound pretty cool? Cooked by an angel. 
He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank, strengthened by that food. Notice the language there. We're talking about physical strength. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, we need to first acknowledge here that this is like a supernatural uh, refreshing. This is supernatural strength coming from an angel. And I just want to again acknowledge and celebrate the fact that God is doing a supernatural work amongst you. Isn't it amazing that God is doing miracles in your midst that are not just natural, they're not just medical. Thank God for medical help. Thank God for natural processes. But God is supernaturally coming and he is healing and strengthening people in Seacoast Church. And let's believe it's going to go stronger and deeper and spread to many other places in Jesus' name. Amen. So we thank God for the, the supernatural touch. But I believe the other principle we can learn from this is if God first dealt with the physical area of Elijah's needs. It's not just that we have supernatural healing and supernatural strength. We need to partner with the God who made us and we need to take responsibility and look after the one body he's given us. It's gone very quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> but quite seriously, I believe this, that we have a responsibility to look after this temple to make sure, if you like, we put uh, good fuel <laughs> into our tank. Uh, the number of years ago. In fact, it was after we'd been leading the church in Kingsgate for 27 years. I turned to my wife and we said the same thing. I said, I feel so tired. And she said, I feel tired too. And as we looked at our lives, we were still walking with God. We were praying. We weren't <laughs> in any kind of moral sin or whatever. But we just felt tired. And the, the way we um, described it, it was like, it felt like we were in a position of long-term tiredness. That was the phrase we used, long-term tiredness. If you imagine um, holding medium-sized weights for any length of time, what's going to happen to your arms? They're going to get tired. And it felt like just the weight of being on the journey of life and, in our case, pastoral ministry for uh, several decades, we just felt tired. We weren't done, but we were weary. And I believe there's many of you here, you may not be a burnout, but you may just feel a real sense of, of tiredness. Then I believe God wants to speak to you and he wants to encourage you, wants to help you. And one of the things that we knew was that we had to pay, take extra attention to our physical well-being. You know, we had to pay attention more to diet and exercise. I had to sort out some of my sleeping patterns. Three years on, I can honestly say I'm in a far better place uh, now than I was then. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing in the whole physical area? Is there anything that you need to partner with the Spirit to get your dial, uh, your, uh, dial getting in the right? How many don't want to be in the red zone physically? You want to be healthy and strong and ready for the next stage of God's journey for your life. One of our young guys in ministry, he was getting a little bit out of balance and wearing himself down a bit. So he just decides, one of my favorite hobbies is tennis. So he takes up tennis again. And he's just helped refill his tank physically as well as emotionally. What do you need to do to pay attention to your physical strength? Second and third areas are both linked. Emotional health and spiritual intimacy. Can we say that together? 
emotional health and spiritual intimacy. These two are linked both in the story of Elijah and in our own lives. You see, at the heart of Elijah's collapse was an internal collapse. Yes, he was tired. Yes, he was worn out. But it was really in an emotional and spiritual implosion. And so God comes to him and he restores him inwardly. First is the encounter with the angel. Early on in the story, Elijah has another occasion where he needs physical provision. In that occasion, God sends ravens to feed him. But now here in the moment of his emotional vulnerability, God gets even more personal. He doesn't send him birds, he sends him an angel as if to say, Elijah, you may feel like I've forgotten you, but I'm still with you, I love you. Here's my touch, here's my food. I'm sending my angel to help you. Isn't God good? And so God draws close to him, but then God doesn't just want to send him an angel, God wants to draw him into his very own presence. And so he, he asks him to go on this journey, 40 days and 40 nights, to the mountain of God, the mountain of Horeb. We read in verse eight, it says, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. The Mount Horeb was the place where God met Moses. It was the place uh, where God specially revealed himself. As an aside, aren't you glad that you and I don't have to go to a special place or places to meet with God and that we don't have to travel 40 days and 40 nights to get there? But if you're a Christian here today and you've received Jesus Christ in your life, here's the good news. You have God through the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you 24-7. You can meet him anytime, any day, at any place because he has come near to dwell in you. Why don't we just thank God for his amazing grace of the new covenant that means that we can encounter God anytime, any day. When Elijah eventually gets to Mount Horeb. God, who is the best counselor in the universe, starts by asking him a simple question, and he asks it twice. What are you doing here, Elijah? I believe there's something about being honest before God. God wants us to come to the point of vulnerability where uh, we, we tell it as it is. In, in the UK, you, you'll often ask people, you know, it's a polite kind of social thing, say, how are you? And the stock answer is, I'm fine. And people will say, I'm fine, whether they're fine or not. As if God's saying, no, Elijah, tell me what it's really like. And of course, God knew the answer. God knew that Elijah wasn't all right, but he wanted Elijah to express exactly where he was. Interesting to me that the largest group of psalms in the book of Psalms are psalms of lament, where the psalmist spent a whole bunch of the psalm actually crying out and telling God how fed up they feel and how awful, and then nearly always they come around to a place of faith. Do you know, God's not going to fall off his throne if you're honest with him about how you're really doing. How are you really doing right now? And then God draws him into a loving encounter. This was the mountain where in the past there'd been thunder and lightning and fire and all kinds of dramatic signs. But this time, there's a mighty wind and the scripture says God's not in the wind. This time, there's an earthquake 
and it says God wasn't in the earthquake. This time there was fire, and it says God wasn't in the fire. Can I just say as an aside, it's important that we don't put God in a box just because he worked a certain way in the past, in a past revival or in a past way, he has to work the same way. Guess what, God is God, he's the creator, he's sovereign, he'll work in whatever way he will work. And we need to be open to God moving and working in different ways, amen? This revival will look different than other revivals. The way God might meet you today might be different than the way he's ever met before. Let's allow God to be God in our lives and in our midst. And so God's not in the wind, he's not in the fire and the earthquake, and then suddenly God appears to Elijah in a way he wasn't expecting with a gentle whisper. Other translations say Elijah heard a still, small voice. And there's something about God, he's saying, I want to minister to you. I want to minister to your emotions. I want to refresh you spiritually. I want to speak to you, and I want to reveal myself to you again. So let me briefly, from, if you like, a pastor's perspective, let me speak to you about the importance of emotional health. Emotional health. It seems to me like there's a whole bunch of books and podcasts and a whole new attention on emotional health in the body of Christ. I think it's a thoroughly good thing. You see, three years ago when Karen and I, my wife and I hit that point, we talked about long-term tiredness. If I look back, our number one issue was not just physical. For me personally, it was emotional. And I wasn't, if you looked at me, you'd have thought, outwardly looks fine. I'm kind of a natural, I think what the word is, type A, quite drive kind of character. And there's a strength in that, and there's a good side in that. The weakness or the shadow side of drive is you can get into drivenness. But I carried on and I carried on, and then God did something really kind. He began to really reveal my true self. He began to show me areas of my life where I thought it was acceptable to always be in drive mode. And he says, Dave, I've got a better way. You don't need to live that way. You don't need to live that way, judging how things are going by, how outwardly things are, uh, are going, or how well you're doing. Because, you know, fundamentally, Dave, you're my son. I love you. I accept you. You can be at peace. One of the great revelations to me is something that I know, and I knew then, to an extent. I believed it from the Bible. I believed it theologically, intellectually, and to some extent I knew it my, in my heart, but it's this. I am immensely loved by God, and so are you. The name David, it's my name, the meaning of the word is beloved. And so many times in the last couple of years, I just will get up in the morning and say, hey, beloved. <laughs> Look in the mirror. Hey, man of God, loved by God. What am I doing? I'm speaking truth to myself. I'm allowing the truth that's, that is in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm taking what is really true. It's not like if I say it enough, it'll be true. No, it is true. God loves you. If you're a child of God, God accepts you as you are. And it's getting the truth of the word and the truth that we believe out, up there right into the very core of our being so that we can live liberated lives on the inside, knowing that no matter what's going on, good or bad, externally, no matter the, the chaos of the world around us, we can walk in a righteousness and a peace and a joy, and we can do life well, because we're at rest. And I believe today that the Holy Spirit wants to minister many of you 
in the whole area of emotional health. For, for me personally, some of that help has come from some external um, input, just being honest w- with other people around me, but also at the fundamentally, it's the touch of God. I believe God wants to touch many of you today. And he wants to say, you know, areas of your emotions, we're getting a little bit in the red zone. God wants to say, I want to restore you to a place of emotional health. Isn't God kind? Isn't he good? So that's emotional health. But then allied to that and linked to that is the whole sense of spiritual intimacy and vitality. See, that's why God brought him to the mountain. And while on the one hand, thank God we don't have to go to a special mountain and we don't have to travel 40 days and 40 nights. I do believe the principle is still the same, that there's something about us carving out regular time and sometimes special time in the midst of our chaotic, busy lives to be still and know that he's God. How many of you here have too much free time on your hands you don't know what to do with it? Life's not getting any... Any less busy, is it? So I believe we need to be intentional with our schedule and we need to schedule in special and regular times with the Lord. And I found almost like the more I'm just faithful in just regular daily devotions and times in the day and sometimes extra times in a month or in a season, the more I spend time with the Lord. It doesn't mean that every time I, I'm there reading my Bible, praying, listening to the Lord. I have like a sort of a Mount Horrid moment. But here's my theory. If I'm there all of the time and I'm there regularly, God knows where I'm at and he can meet with me anytime. And there's something about the regularity and the consistency of walking with the Lord and not just being there in head, but being there in heart and expecting God to come. You know, when God really speaks into your, in your heart, you may have heard it many times, but one word from God can change the rest of your life. These words from God change Elijah's life and he wants to come near and he wants to draw near and he wants to speak to you and minister to you even here today. So we've got emotional, spiritual, physical well-being, and then the, the two final areas. Uh, num- number four, vocational fruitfulness. Can we say that together? Vocational fruitfulness. The word vocation comes from the Latin word calling. Do you know all of us, wherever we're at, in whatever sphere of life we're called to, we have a deep inner sense of a need for purpose and significance. And to go through life without ever knowing that sense of God-given purpose, or as in Elijah's case, where you lose a sense of purpose, can lead to incredible sense of futility. I believe right at the heart of Elijah's sense of exhaustion was he thought he was done. He thought, I'm finished. But you know, in his state of feeling suicidal and he, and and that God had finished with him. God comes and brings this life-changing word. God says to him, go back the way you came. Literally, travel back the same way in geography, but also, I believe he's saying, no, you're not done, Elijah. I've not finished with you yet. I remember years ago when we were starting Kingsgate Church. It's kind of, can be quite tough planting church in, in uh, a U- European context. And uh, for us, it was no exception. We started with nine people, and after 18 months, we'd 
seen massive church growth and there were 15 people. And then we had a backdoor revival and we went down to six. And three of them were myself, my wife and our daughter. And honestly, I thought, I'm just, I just can't do this. I felt like, you know, we'd started out this, I was failing miserably. And I remember going to God and saying, Lord, I quit. I can't build this church. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed a smile from God saying, good, I'm glad we got that one sorted. It's <laughs> kind of reminded of a certain scripture. Jesus said, I will build my church. But in that place of dependence on God, I decided it wasn't time to quit. And can I say that when you're at your lowest, that is not a time to make a life decision that you're done. It may just be you're tired and you need a good sleep. It may just be you need God to come to you and help restore your emotional health and get you to a place of wholeness. Please, I implore you, don't make big life choices just because you're feeling inwardly challenged. Come, get restored, have a Mount Horeb experience, and then listen to the Lord. And in my experience, sometimes we quit way too quickly and we think, well, if we, if we changed job or if we changed church or whatever, it's all gonna be fine. Can I say it won't be fine because you'll still be there. <laughs> General counsel is this. Like God said to Elijah, go back the way you came. I haven't done with you. And if I've got a new plan and a new path for your life, I'll make it clear to you. Be faithful where you are and then let God promote you and God bless you and God be sovereign over your life. Allow him to bring you to a place of vocational fruitfulness. But it doesn't mean we have to go back exactly the same way. Elijah went back. He was still the prophet. But now God said, go back, but do things slightly differently. Go back the way you came, but this time don't do it alone. Anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. I'm so glad that Elisha's prophetic anointing didn't die with him. You've probably heard the phrase, no success without a successor. Again, one of the things I love about what God is doing here is just the way that Greg and Josh are modeling succession. Why don't we just thank God and thank them for their wisdom in how they're handling that whole thing of transition. So God wants to bring us to a place of vocational fruitfulness. He wants to restore that sense of passion for the calling that he has for you. And then the fifth and the final area of this is relational connectivity. Can we say that? Relational connectivity. You see, it's not enough for us to have these other areas in place and say, oh yeah, but, but, but I'm just on my own. I'm just gonna do life on my own. We need other people if we're gonna walk in the fullness of what God has for us. In Elijah's case, he did what, what we shouldn't do when we hit crisis. He's there, he's feeling exhausted, but he goes out into the desert on his own and he dismisses his servant. In other words, he's saying the one person who could have helped him, he, get, he says, right, I'm, I'm so alone, I can't cope with anyone else around me. Can I say when we're that low, we need to resist the temptation to push people away from us. We need to bring people who God has placed around us close to us and we need to be honest, we need to be vulnerable and we need to ask for help. Elijah feels alone. He says this to the Lord twice. He says, Lord, I'm the only one left. <laughs> Everyone else has deserted. But God says, no, you're not alone. 
First, I'm not just gonna give you a successor, I'm gonna give you a companion in Elisha. Now on, you're gonna do the rest of your ministry together. And then secondly, I love what God says to that cry of I'm, I'm alone. He says, yet I reserve, this is God speaking, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. No, you're not alone, Elijah. Let me apply this to every single one of us. You and I all need people close to us who we can do life with, who can help us on life's journey. If you're part of a small group, can I encourage you to make the most of it? If you're not part of a church small group, can I encourage you to get part of one? Uh, my companion who's traveling with me, Dave Robertson, a number of us at leadership level, we have a regular small group. And we often look at a dashboard like this. And I go round and I'm part of the journey. I say, how are we doing today? <laughs> you know, any, any kind of red, any of us in the red zone and, and we just have a place of honesty and openness and transparency. And sometimes even just in sharing it and praying together, it's like you, you feel like, okay, I'm back on track and we, we, we encourage one another on the journey. We need one another, people. And then we don't just need small and we don't just need one or two people. We need, if you like, the big. We need the 7,000. We need to keep gathering together in great uh, church gatherings like you have all across Seacoast. Don't you, th- don't you just love the local church and how God uses church to encourage and strengthen us in our walk with God? And if you're somebody here and you say, well, I'm just losing a bit of connection right now, can I say one of the most important decisions you may need to make is say, I'm gonna make a recommitment and a reconnection to local church in Jesus' name. So as we close, let's look one more time at this uh, dashboard. Where are your dials at? Any areas where you're going in the red zone? Let's pray together and let's invite the Lord to speak to us and help us get to a place of full replenishment. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you so much for this church, for all that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that we can serve you and love you in every area of life and yet not burn out. And I pray for my friends here. I pray where anybody is experiencing weariness, burnout, where the dials are getting dangerously near the red zone, I pray that you would speak and you would help in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for any who don't yet know you, they would realize that you're a good, good father and you have a glorious plan for their replenishment. In Jesus' name, amen.